Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. I'm John Alois, joined by Sean Degenhart. Hello, John Alois. And John Redling Schaefer. Gentlemen, gentlemen, hello. We hope you're having a great week. Wherever you're listening to us, please rate and review so more people follow us. Why don't you go ahead and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Okay. You can also, you can follow us on social media too. And <laughs> email us while you're at it, podcast at thehyperionhub.com. Did all that without a script. We like to start things no. off. <laughs> <laughs> the first step in a procedure such as this is to shave the patient. It is so warm in here. We like to start things off with our Disney views, and I'm going to throw it over to John. I think it's a nice continuation of our last episode. Disney's starting to dabble more into the gaming world. I have two sons, and I know they have a lot of friends, and there are a lot of schools with eSports now that are really into a game called Rocket League. Now, do I know anything about it? No. As best as I can describe it is imagine cars and motor vehicles on a soccer pitch playing soccer. All right? What does this have to do with us tonight? Well... The Lightning McQueen, Car Body, and other cosmetics hit the pitch in Rocket League this week. Now, this is directly from the Rocket League website, so I'm going to try to translate as best as I can. There's only one Lightning McQueen, but thanks to the newest in Soccar, S-O-C-C-A-R, simulation technology, you can have your very own precision instrument of speed and aerodynamics in Rocket League. You can equip your vehicle with the Disney and Pixar Cars-inspired Lightning McQueen car, and you'll be hoisting the Piston Cup in no time. The Lightning McQueen Mega Bundle, oh yes, it costs Ooh. money, yes, includes three race-ready decals and the Kachow Goal Explosion and more. Now, what does that mean? I'm not sure, but there were some pictures that described that there are three different versions. The traditional Lightning McQueen look, the classy white wall, tired, streamlined Lightning, and then, of course, the blue Dynaco uh, version of Lightning if you want to do and play him in one of those three forms. The whole world should know when you're winning. Celebrate every goal with not only the Kachow goal explosion, but throw in the Life is a Highway Player anthem <laughs> by Rascal Flats, and they'll have no choice but to get driving. Now, again, this is a... You can buy it in pieces or... Uh, and we did it for the Mega Bundle. I'm too embarrassed to say how much it was. But, again, I credit Disney for realizing what is popular amongst the kiddos and going for it. So my kids don't play a lot of video games, but do they still say when you ask them to come do something. But this is the farthest I've ever been. <laughs> uh, it's usually we have five minutes left. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Can we finish this game? Is still in there somewhere. Right, right, yeah, right. but yeah. Okay. If I die, I have Mario goes back to level 1-1, right? So what platform are they playing it on? Your it, it can actually be uh, Xbox or PlayStation. Oh, okay. So, for example, the school Rocket League game on their eSports team club is, is uh, PlayStation. We have an Xbox that they'll play it on. Hmm. Excellent. I'd love to check it out. This week, we're looking at Disney through the decades, the 1930s, and we will uh, kind of recap a little bit from the 1920s before we get started. Why don't we just do that? We had the 20s episode. Why would we recap? We did. We, we need to refresh <laughs> the listeners, uh, or listener, uh, their, his, or her... <laughs> 
<laughs> tripping over words tonight. Here we go. Uh, memory. Recapping a little bit. All right. Walt learned some harsh but valuable business lessons. After the failure of Laughergram Studios in Kansas City, he moved out to California and along with his brother started the first animation studio in Hollywood. Due to rights issues, he lost his cartoon star Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and learned he needs to own his own characters. Out of that came Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. And from there, the studio created the Silly Symphonies. Something you mentioned on the last episode, John, the world changed on October 29th, 1929, when the stock market crashed, sending the country into the Great Depression. And this is where we'll pick up the story. The Disney studio didn't feel as much of a pinch as we may have thought during the Great Depression. Americans wanted to be entertained, so they found their entertainment in baseball, pulp magazines, comic books, and movies. Okay, Interjection. What's yeah. Pulp Magazine? I don't know. Uh, so kind of the precursor to comic books, but maybe more on the sci-fi side of things. Really? Yeah. There were some detective magazines, stories that were written. Eventually, uh, you know, animation, or I should say illustrations were placed in there, and those evolved into comic books. I had no idea. Thank you. Yep. Cool. <laughs> Walt's studio would create almost 200 shorts during this decade and its first ever full-length feature film. We start off with Walt the Savvier Businessman. In 1930, Walt was suspicious about Pat Powers. He was the man who had sold Walt the Cinephone, allowing him to make sound cartoons. He was also Walt's distributor. Roy convinced Walt Powers was withholding large sums of royalties Roy thought Powers was trying to take over the studio. Powers responded by creating his own studio and hired away their top animator of iWorks. iWorks studio had some moderate success and it lasted for about 10 years. So I, I was kind of surprised by that. I didn't realize it lasted a whole decade. Eventually, Ub would come back to the studio, but he would work on some behind the scenes things throughout the uh, 60s, I believe, late 50s. Uh, iWorks, by the way, was given 20% of the Disney studio, and he sold it back for $2,000. Really? Yeah. Wow. Ouch. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. I don't know how you hold on to it, though, if you're a competitor, right? Well, that's all going to be, in theory, going to be all contractually uh, based, but back then I'm doubting that. It was probably just a gentleman's agreement. Walt was hurt with uh, leaving, but he still owned Mickey, so... He learned his lesson. As we all know, Walt enjoyed taking risks. In 1932, he decides to take another one when he discovers the Technicolor process. He signs an exclusive three-year deal with Technicolor for its three-strip color process. Competing studios, including iWorks, have to stick with the inferior two-color process. He tells Roy that the Flowers and Trees short needs to be completely reshot from black and white to color. It went considerably over budget and could have ruined the studio, but it was uh, very popular and profits made up for uh, going over budget. The short went on to make history as it's the first ever awarded an Oscar, first cartoon. And it's crazy to think about, I mean, you don't think about the Technicolor process, but that Disney was the only one you licensed to use that. None of the other studios that had been around longer than Disney Studios and had more of a reputation at that time allowed to use it. I mean, that's just brilliant. If you watch the Fleischer cartoons at that time, there's a considerable drop-off in quality. 
Well, it, with the newer technology, is it more sensible for them to ally with a newer studio? You know, maybe they had been rejected by the old standards. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not smart enough to appreciate the science behind it, but you're right. I mean, your, your basic eyes will see the noticeable change and difference. Yeah, it just seems like more muted colors, right. obviously popping more in flowers and trees. In 1933, the studio released one of the, if not the, most popular Silly Symphony ever created. The Three Little Pigs is the classic fairy tale with a modern twist. But what it became most known for was the song Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf <sighs> by Frank Churchill. It's a best-selling single and becomes a rallying cry against the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. So Disney is truly influencing pop culture at this point. Not pulp culture, pop <laughs> culture. Got it. And just looking at, I mean, you know, the story of the Three Little Pigs is the story, but it, there's a lot of parallels with Walt in not giving up and just right. you know, continuing to fight. And, you know, the, whether the Big Bad Wolf was mm -hmm. finances or, you know, other studio executives that stole characters or whatever, there are a lot of parallels, I think, with Disney and the company itself. Yeah, I agree. I don't have anything to follow up with that, but well, I, think I, mean, I agree. There's nothing left to say. <laughs> I believe he dropped his microphone and walked out, John. <laughs> Mickey Mouse takes off inspiring Mickey Mouse clubs all over the country and the UK. Those masks are terrifying. Yeah, they are Those pretty scary. If you've walking into a room full of that, <laughs> yeah. no thanks, children, I'm out. <laughs> children in theaters wearing those masks, yeah. Whew. Well, uh, let's be honest. The first Mickey and Minnie at Disneyland were a little <laughs> freaky, as it were. Um, over a million kids would meet up in theaters, and during this decade, we see the birth of new characters joining Mickey, Minnie, Pete, and Horace Horse Collar. Our Goofy, in this order, Goofy, Pluto. My friend. Donald Duck. Thank you. And Clarabelle Cow. Moo. We, we also see, well, I love the uh, special sound effects that we have. Are they good? <laughs> I thought they were good. Now he gets paid for folding. <laughs> We also see Walt stop doing animation and really start trying to get his animators to concentrate on story development. He sends his animators to the Chouinard Art Institute. All of this leads to the next level, which is feature animation. Studios didn't do this. They didn't pay for their, for their mm -hmm. workers to take classes to improve their craft. He was always ahead of the curve. And that's a classic example of a great leader because he enjoyed the animating himself. But then he knew if he wanted to get better, he had to hire better animators, equip them, and just you know removing himself from that so he could oversee and guide. You see it over the next 20 to 30, if not longer, period of his life, that, those many years, culminating in his donations to CalArts because education, the arts, has always been such a big part naturally. He came from nothing, and he was able to build something, and he wanted, you're right, he wanted to be surrounded with the best, but he knew there were ways to do it. And I think that also, I look back at the the whole communist strike era, too, and, and he took everything so personally because he did have such a high investment level in everybody that worked for him, education or otherwise. He tried to create a utopia at the studio, for sure. Walt remembered seeing Snow White as a kid in theaters in Kansas City, and he thought it was a, quote, perfect story. One night in 1934, he gave each animator 50 cents to go to dinner and return to hear the big news. What kind of steak do you get for 50 <laughs> cents even back then, right? Um, I think, if I remember reading it, I think it was like everyone went and got tuna fish sandwiches and 
milkshakes or something. Ooh. Maybe I'm getting my Disney stories mixed <laughs> that up. That sounds like the worst possible. Yeah, I th- I actually, I think that had something to do with the the artist who created the map for Disneyland. So Herb Ryman. Yes, Herb Ryman. Thank you. Tuna fish sandwiches and a vanilla milkshake. <laughs> it was something like that. I'll take two milkshakes. I think so. it, I think it was. Yeah, Herb. yeah. Um, So the studio was going to create its first animated feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. He acted out the complete movie, and people called him a natural actor. Uh, He was the boss. They were going to kind of suck up to him, (laughs) let's be honest. Oh, you're wonderful. Well, and if you've seen him doing those storyboards, I mean, it's just... The witch holding up the... That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, agreed. Suck ups. Uh, (laughs) Shorts were still being produced, but Walt and many of the animators were fully engrossed in every detail for Snow White. The budget rose from $500,000 to three times that. Every penny that he could raise was put into the movie. That's real money, even especially then. That's a lot. There had been other animated films around the world, but never with this spectacle, this Technicolor spectacle. And of course, press and other other cynics called it, they said it was going to be Disney's folly and people would get headaches after seeing so much color and all that animation for that amount of time. And of course, they were. Well, and it was a total rethink of the animation style because you, you wouldn't necessarily have an hour and a half's worth of Donald Duck. Sure. But creating more realistic characters mm-hmm. and I mean that had to happen. Right. Although I'd be fine with an hour and a half of Donald Duck. <laughs> the movie premiered on December 21st, 1937 at the Carthay Circle Theater in Los Angeles. Walt was so proud of the fact that quote all of Hollywood brass turned out for a cartoon. It grossed $7.8 million worldwide during its initial release, and at the time was the highest-grossing film ever. Walt Disney was on the cover of Time magazine. People thought this would be a failure. It wasn't. Roy was able to pay off the entire studio debt within six months, and it was clear feature-length films were the studio's future, and so was a new studio campus. And even look at um, the almost immediate impact it had with things like Wizard of Oz, you know, coming just a couple of years later. I mean, definite inspiration coming from there. How much, how many million did you say? 7.8. Okay. Well, I just looked up that $1 in 1932 is now worth $21.96 wow. today. That's 171 million bucks. Hmm. In its initial release. And, and I don't believe it was worldwide. I think, uh, just America, maybe Europe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, because in 1937, things were already happening. So uh, more on the new campus in the next installment. During the 1930s, Walt and Roy both have children who will have an influence on the company's future. Roy E. Disney, Diane, and Sharon Disney were all born. Sources for this episode include Disney's World by Leonard Mosley, of Mice and Magic by Leonard Maltin and Walt, the man behind the myth, a film directed by Jean-Pierre Isbouts. Please follow us on social media. Email us at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. You can send us a voice recorded message there as well. And wherever you're listening to us, please rate and review. It helps more people find the show. Thanks for now. Have a great week, everybody. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email or send us a recorded audio message at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. Find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
The Hyperion Hub is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its subsidiaries. We'll meet you next time at the Hyperion Hub.